You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning. How are you all doing? Good. It is a good day. It is the last day of July, uh, which means August is tomorrow and summer starts to do something we don't want to talk about. I keep reminding myself that September and uh, beginning of October, like the weather stays pretty decent. So I still have a couple of months left um, before I go into shivery beanie Jason mode for like a long time. But it's all good. It's all good. God's good. God, I've got lots to look forward to. By the way, that's what we could talk about this morning. So that's great. Um, well, we've been walking through the book of Malachi um, for the last couple of months. And have you guys enjoyed this book? Probably not. How many of you guys have ever read the book of Malachi before we started teaching on it at church? Okay, good for you. Good for you. That's, that's like almost half the room. It's uh, one of these books that I think a lot of times because of where it sits in the Bible or that it's a, it's a book of prophecy that we just kind of like scroll over that. And maybe, how many of you guys have read through it because you've done the Bible in a year? Like he didn't intentionally go, oh, I'm going to go to the, okay, there is honestly. So that half of you just like went off the table. Um, there's like a few of you that it's, I'm going to read the book of Malachi. That sounds really great. And so it's just really awesome to be able to step into some of these books that we don't often go to. And I've loved the series because of what it really has been rooted in is that covenant love of God. That as we've walked through that, we've seen God's love for us, but we always haven't been able to come at it from a side of, uh, man, it's just like ooey-gooey love, but it's more of, he is a holy God who loves his creation, and so he wants to correct some things so we can fully be embraced by the goodness of his covenant love for us, but that means we got to get some things out of the way. And so we've talked through the series about, are, are we being faithful over faithless? I'm going to see if I can remember all these. Um, are we robbing God? Are we renewing our covenant love? Are we living as a pro, royal priesthood? And there's a couple more in there I'm totally forgetting. But there's this, are you doing these things questions we've been asking along the way through this series? And my hope is that even as you look back over each uh, week that we've talked about through this book, that you continually put those questions in front of you. Because I don't really believe that uh, who, who uh, Malachi was giving these prophetic words to, this audience of his is much different than who we are today, except for we know the full story and, and we get to look ahead to what is to come. And so we've kind of got the bigger picture. But even in the bigger picture, we get lost a little bit in that. And yet that pulls us back into the position of the audience of Malachi at the time. And it's, it's, it's kind of just baffling somewhat that that is a reality, but it's a reality. Our world throws out so many distractions at us, so many things that puts us kind of in this zone of, ah, that's just too much, I don't want to think about it. Or maybe like, I'm out of a hard time believing this kind of thing because is, can a good God, a loving God really respond in this way? Or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever the question may be that you have, we kind of get caught in the first part of the story 
of where Malachi is trying to lead us to. And so we're going to be in Malachi 4. So if you've got your Bible, flip open to Malachi 4. We're gonna, it's, it's the first time I've only had to preach on six verses in a long time. So praise God for that. Um, except for in the six verses, they're pretty heavy things that Malachi talks about as he ends uh, his prophetic word to the nation of Israel. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you are familiar with the book of Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And after this book, there's 400 years of silence before we see uh, the New Testament launch into place and the coming fulfillment of God's promise start to unfold, which is fantastic. But I can only imagine having these final words sit in your generations and generations of generations going, when is God going to speak again? And so my hope is that for today, for us, when we see the full story and we have this all in scripture, that we don't lose sight of God is always speaking. And he's leading us towards what Malachi is leading us towards today. But I want to go back and show you kind of the storyline, God's storyline that Malachi has been reminding us and leading us through and challenging us towards and what he's going to do today and prophesying what is to come. So I've got this fun little thing up here on the screen my little diagrams. I'm going to try to rival Pastor Keith with as many slides as I possibly can today, or maybe Connor, because he threw out a whole lot. Um, so good job. Uh, so first time elder preaching, and he throws out many, many slides. So what I want to look at in this way, the story of God is going to come in what I'm going to phrase out in, in, in two things. One, there's a season, so a season's going to be underlined, but there's a moment that we have through, and the moments are in a block. Uh, and then there's the outcome that's in the big circle. So you ready? So there's seasons, say seasons, and then don't put it up there. Yeah, shoot, don't get ahead. So uh, I, this is great because I can just hide it. You guys will never know. Uh, and then there's these moments, say moments, and then there's an outcome. All right, great. So you guys are chiming in with me, waking you up, keeping you engaged. This is awesome. Okay, so our first season is this. It's creation. Yes, creation. There's a season of creation. That God said, hey, I want to create something so beautiful and so marvelous and so awesome. And I want in that creation to create uh, the ones that I will love the most, I will cherish the most out of the man and woman, humanity. And he said, after he created all those things, and in that season, like, man, this is so, so good. Because he desired to be, to be in this deep, deep covenant relationship with his creation, with humanity. And then he, he gave us all the world around it in this season to say, explore this, engage this, enjoy this, take apart every part, and then have dominion over that, that you guys have a part in this creation, that I just create you so I could marionette you around throughout life, but I want you to fully experience and embrace this goodness of the season of creation. It was a a beautiful place. It was perfect. And then we had a moment of sin. Sin hits. That moment where there's deception that's kind of being played out like this is a good thing. Like God, he, I don't know if he's really going to, he's really going to say do what he's going to, like, it's not a big deal. But you can be like God, like trust me, this is, there's this fruit here, this low, low hanging fruit, like you can get to it and, and oh, the things that you experience. And then that moment where they're like, huh, yeah, I'm going to try that. And that moment leads us to a new season of evil and destruction. To where the world starts to fall apart. 
that everything that was good and everything that was perfect just seems to be breaking apart and out of that brokenness oozes this evil, this wrongdoing against, against this, the very first season against creation. That all this evil and brokenness is, is ripping apart what God intended from the very, very beginning to create this story that he's in this amazing and beautiful love relationship with the ones that he created. The evil and brokenness takes the things that are so good that God called these are such good things, and it just strips it of that. And then our eyes begin to see the ways that we can run away from God instead of the ways that he's calling us to run towards him. That there's now this understanding that there's this other side that, that might feel right, might feel good. But really, it's moving us apart from the beautiful story of where we were all supposed to be from the very, very beginning. And so, through where we've been in, in Malachi so far, Malachi's prophecy the words of the Lord have been addressing these things because the desire of the Lord is to be able to expose his full story, his full plan. His greatest desire is to lead us back to what he created us for, to live in this beautiful, holy, love relationship with him in perfection. And that's really hard for us as humans to even begin to fathom because if you can think of anything that's perfect, we use the word perfect a lot. Like, oh, today was perfect. Was it really? Or this season has been perfect. Or I've baked the perfect cake. Or the perfect chocolate chip cookies. I love chocolate chip cookies. And you go online, you Google the perfect recipe. There's everyone in their mind thinking, I have the perfect chocolate chip recipe. But then how can there be so many things that are perfect and be so different, right? We have this idea of the, this word perfect, but we don't really grasp it too much to what is really meant for in the eyes and the nature and the creation of God. So what we're going to see in today's six verses is Malachi to begin to prophesy out the next part of God's story. So we move from this evil and brokenness to another moment of sacrifice. This is Jesus. This is Jesus right here offering himself, coming into the fullness of God, coming into the fullness of man to say, I'm going to offer myself as the perfect lamb. I'm going to be the one that, that takes all of this evil and brokenness and resolves it. I'm going to fix it so that we can bring ourselves back to how God created us to be in this beautiful, perfect relationship with the Father, with God the Creator. He offers himself up. He is beaten and stricken and, and, and pierced for our transgressions so that we can be reconciled and brought back to God. It's a beautiful thing. And again, here's another word that we don't have a full grasp and a full understanding of, of what Jesus really did. I think if we did have a full grasp and a full understanding of what sacrifice was, we would live differently. We would look at all the questions that we've walked through through the book of Malachi and we would seriously take them to heart. That we'd be changing our lives in the, the quickest moment we could if we truly understood what Jesus truly and fully gave for us. I mean, think about it, just in a quick moment. The one big, hard, wrestling question you have in your mind right now the struggle that's going on inside of you in your life right now. 
Here's a truth that's hard to hold. That's resolved right here in sacrifice. It's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe that. But from this moment of sacrifice, the moment where he spoke, it is finished. We moved into this time of transformation, the season of transformation. Where Jesus' life, he said, while I must go prepare a place for you, I'm also leaving behind someone for you, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, he's going to come alongside of you as a guide, as an advocate, as a counselor, as a caregiver. And he's going to help transform you to become more like Jesus, to live in the holiness and the beauty of the covenant relationship, the way you were created. He's going to show you and shape you and move with you to become more how you were created to be. To take the reconciliation that comes through the sacrifice and see the born fruit of that grow in and through you. This is hard work. This isn't like, it, it is immediate. There's a point of transformation that comes when, when you say yes to Jesus. You're good. You've been reconciled. You are with God. But then I'm going to shape you to become more and more like Jesus, to become more and more. High. That's hard work. That's really, really hard work. If you guys ever repurposed or refinished something, it's not as quickly and easy as looking at it and say, be shiny. It doesn't work that way. There's a lot of things that go into the process. Scripture talks about how like purifying silver even, that the, the heat just grows and grows and grows and it separates all the impurities. And if you're purifying silver and you have it in that, that vat or that cauldron or whatever you're using and that heat grows and grows and all of a sudden the black impurities come out of the pure silver and the, the silversmith will skim the impurities out, leaving the silver pure as pure could be. But it takes time. It's not an immediate process. The Spirit of God is coming into your lives to lead us through a season of transformation. And it's a beautiful season, but it's a hard season. And it's also a season that shapes this next moment. And this one's tough, judgment. Wait, what? You just went through a season of transformation and now there's judgment? We look at the word judgment and we think all bad things, don't we? When I say the word judgment, was the first thing you thought of as a negative thought? My guess is probably yes, that we immediately went to this negative thought about judgment. I'm being judged. They're just judging me. Or I'm going to be judged for all the bad things I've done. And this is the beauty of the story of God that through this transformation, this moment, this, this moment of judgment is to set apart what is holy for him. It's God revealing his holiness and saying, darkness can't live in the light. Sin can't live in holiness. So I've got to do the hard work in this moment to separate those things because don't forget where we started. This is perfection. This brings us back to this moment of perfection. It's resolved in sacrifice. It's moved towards you in transformation, but it's resolved right here. This judgment seat of Jesus, this bema seat is what the scripture calls it. In that place, God wants to help you know that you've been set apart for God, that, that you've been moved to a place that is beautiful, and in that judgment, you will see that promise fulfilled. And that leads us to the season of eternity. The season of eternity. 
Now, when we live in the full story of God, when we follow the, the process and his plan for us, this eternity shows that in Jesus, through what he's done in sacrifice, through what he's done in transformation, through what he will shape in us in the moment of judgment that will lead us to eternity to help us understand this right here, that we are not separated from God, but we are separated for God. That's a big distinction, that through judgment, we are led to eternity because we are separated for God. He looks at us while we live in the sacrifice and the transformation, that that judgment separates us for God. We get to live in eternity with Jesus. This is recreated. This is brought back in the creation. We are in that beautiful covenant relationship of God. Amen. Like, I hope that you guys look at this and like, stop preaching, Jason. Let's just go home and live in this beautiful story because this is good enough. But Malachi brings out some things in these six verses. While he's prophesying this beautiful future, he does bring up some things that he's been talking about through this book that we must pay attention to. We must pay attention to you. So keep this in your mind. Maybe you wrote it all down. But this is the story and the plan of God for us and his creation. It got broken, but he's gonna restore it. He's gonna transform it. He's gonna bring some judgment to make sure that the holy and the pure that bring us back to here lead us into eternity with Jesus. That we are separated for God through the work of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his conquering of death, and the transformation of the Holy Spirit through us. So let's dive into... Malachi 4, starting in verse 1. And it reads this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Your pastors say this word a lot, and it's like this big, it's like the therefore word. What is the therefore, therefore? I think, Connor, you mentioned that in your sermon. The but. I love the but. Big butts in the Bible. <laughs> um, thank you for laughing at that joke. Uh, but here's one of those buts. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Whew. There's a lot in six verses there that are shocking and scary and beautiful all at the same time. So let's walk down through this a little bit as we unfold what what Malachi is trying to leave in the last words of God's challenge to his people to be reminded that in this time of evil and destruction, I want you to focus in the sea and to hold on to these truths. And the hard part of that 
speaking of that idea of judgment is this, that the, behold, the day is coming. What is that day? It's the coming of the Lord. Now, in Scripture, you're going to see two of these days coming because we are still in the Old Testament. The first of that is the, the first coming of Jesus. We celebrate this at Christmas. He came as a baby boy born in a manger. There was a, a prophet who came to uh, prepare the way for Jesus. His name was John. And then if you're really paying attention, you're like, well, wait a second, because Malachi's talking about Elijah. Well, that's because there's a second coming of Jesus, because when Jesus came and John said, this is the guy you follow. Don't, don't look at me any longer. Look to him. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And interestingly, in, in, for John, that he was questioned, wait, are you Elijah? And John quickly said, no, no, uh I get to prepare the way for the Savior. For you to see and experience the life of this man who will change everything. But what Malachi and what John was referring even back to and understanding through the words of the Lord is that Elijah will come and he will prepare the way for eternity through Jesus and he will be a part of that story, which is awesome. So that day is coming. Now for us, we gotta leap ahead to the second coming of the Lord, which is really where Malachi is, is trying to draw us towards, that at the end of God's plan, there's a beautiful story of reconciliation and, and that will come through judgment. Burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubbled. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Now, this is crazy. We hear um, a lot of teaching, a lot of understanding of like the, the ideas of hell, Gehenna, that things will be set ablaze, that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a, there's a pit of eternal fire. And Jesus takes these words here and he brings even more imagery to the truths of this in his teaching. Even in John 15, he talks about how the branches will be separated and, then, and taken away from the vine. If you don't abide in the vine, that those will be thrown away and that they will be burned in John 15. Jesus takes up this narrative and continues it forward to help understand and teach through the idea of what is found through his sacrifice and through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we abide in him. And as we abide in him, we stay in the fulfillment of God's story. But there's a challenge in this that's so hard to think about. Like, wait, again, this brings us back to the question of a holy, loving God is going to throw people into a fire and, and just like, wait a second, this, is that what God is about? Well, let me challenge that thought a little bit. God is about reconciliation. God is about covenant love. God is about being in a perfect relationship with his creation. That is his greatest desire. But the other sermon I preached on this in this book was about God is holy. And we don't like the idea of holiness. It makes us uncomfortable because in God's holiness, in his purity, he must separate that which is unholy from himself. When the light pierces the room, the darkness runs and high. It cannot exist. The two have to separate, and that's a tough thing to live in, to hold on to, to understand. But that is exactly what's happening here. 
A good God is, is acting as a holy God. He's being who he is, and he will not act differently from his holiness. And there's a challenge in that. All the questions that we've been asking through this book are questions that we should be challenging ourselves with on a daily basis. But here's my hope too, church, that as we understand these truths that God will separate, that we'll understand the opportunities that we have to tell our friends and neighbors about the light and the truth and the goodness of God for them. Because I guarantee your friends and neighbors, they're struggling with something inside too. They're wrestling with the idea of holiness and impurity. They might be able to put those words to it, but they're struggling with that stuff too. They need to hear and know the story, the full plan of God. But here's the problem that Malachi is addressing in this is that they weren't, the people that he was speaking to weren't able and weren't looking towards what is to come. And so their storyline looks something like this. They get down into these moments and these seasons. Go ahead and flip that up, Matt. Um, and they get through creation and they get that. That's part of their storyline so far. They get the sin. They get that. That's part of their storyline. They're living in the evil and brokenness and they're part of, that's part of their storyline. But what they're having a hard time grasping is the beauty and the covenant relationship of God. So everything from here out is missing. And so they're moving from evil to brokenness to judgment. And when they're living from evil to brokenness into this judgment, that separation of what is impure to what is pure, their eternity is separation from God. It's an eternity that is separated from God. And that's the fire. That's the torment. That's the suffering that is going on in judgment. Is when we live in this storyline, it's a broken storyline. It's not the fulfillment of all things that God has planned. It's not the fulfillment of his goodness and his love for us. And if we only live in this storyline, we will always live separated from God, missing the beauty of what he has for us in this moment of judgment. Because we look at the word judgment like, oh, that's just a bad thing. Malachi is trying to open our eyes up and push beyond this to say there's more to this. There's more things that are part of this word judgment than you can imagine, but we've got to see the full story. We've got to embrace the full story. We've got to run to the word of God. First and foremost, we've got to root ourselves in this book. We can't just run into the things that are trying to address these things like, ah, this is what about or here, just make yourself feel good for a season or, or this doesn't make sense. And like, so God can't, if God's going to live here, he's not going to be a good God. So therefore I'm not going to believe in God or like, if we're just missing the full story. And man, if us, as we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we're missing the full story, how in the world will the world know the full story? So Malachi is going to open us up to something here and explain the judgment in a different way. But, say the word but with me. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with a few things. He will rise with healing in its wings. Healing, that's coming out of judgment. Healing is coming out of judgment. You shall go leaping, joy, when it talks about leaping like calves from a stall, I'm not a farmer, I don't raise cattle, but here's what I get. When you're cooped up for the winter 
and you're in a barn or stall for a very long time, surrounded by a whole bunch of smelly animals that look just like, this is why they move, so close to you, that's a bad joke. But there's a sense there that there's, there's this point where the, the, the farmer, the caregiver comes and he opens up that gate. And man, do those calves like, freedom! And they just go running out, leaping, because there's an open field for them to run, to play, to feed in after a time of being held together. So as, as we understand that idea, it's this joy that comes that they, they leap out of this season of being cooped up to live in freedom, to live in the fulfillment of what, what is their, their, their owner is providing for them in a grasslands that have been replenished for them to feed on to live in, to play in. So they come leaping out of the stall. There's joy. And then they should tread down the wicked. There's victory in judgment. There's healing, there's joy, and there's victory. We need to start seeing that word differently as believers and followers of Jesus. We just can't see it as the bad, although if we live in this narrative, there's some bad stuff that's gonna be a part of it, separated from God. But if we live in the beauty of, of this moment of judgment and what God is bringing, what is done through the sacrifice, through the transforming of the Holy Spirit, let's go to this next uh, thing. We see the full story that we are separated for God. And in that, we have healing. In that, we have joy. In that, we have the victory that is through Jesus that is amazing. And that's where exactly where Malachi is trying to close out his letter. Just say, focus on the moment of what God is trying to redeem and reconcile in and through you. Pay attention to where you've gone offline. Get back in line to the story of God. Because he's got an amazing plan that's coming. And for these folks, they're just waiting to see Jesus, the Messiah, all that had been prophesied through Daniel and through Isaiah, they were just waiting for that moment. But they've been so caught up in the living in the broken narrative that Malachi is trying to remind them to live in the full narrative because what's coming is beautiful. The fulfillment of the promise. And even goes down into verse four. So remember the law of my servant Moses. Remember the truths that not just tell you what to do and say these are the guardrails and then stay within them, but these are the things that help you see and know the goodness of God to be in relationship with God. They're highlighting what can get us offline from him to help us stay in line with him so we experience the full story, the full plan of God again because he's leading us to a Messiah. And so remember the law, remember the truth that's there. Live it. And, and Moses in Deuteronomy said, write it on your, on your, your bodies, on your, on, your, on your door frames. Wear it on your heads and on your arms to be reminded every day of the goodness of God and what he is going to come and do in and through your life. Always return, always go back to the beauty and the nature of your loving Father live in the full narrative. And, and Malachi in his last sentences is trying to remind us once again of that. That God gave these words for our good. Not all of them are easy to understand. And not all of them are easy to consume 
or to embrace. But every one of them is pointing us to the full story of God. The full story of God. And so we run after them. And I love that he goes on, Behold, I will send you a lie to the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, that someone will come, someone will be present with you and say, It is coming. It is now. This is the moment. This is the time. This is going to be good. For those of you that are following or giving yourself up, you are about to experience the best and ultimate sunrise of all time, going back to verse 2. How many of you guys like a good sunrise? How many of you guys actually wake up to watch the sunrise? Or you watch it on YouTube for someone else who did, right? But man, when you see that sun crest over the horizon, and all of a sudden, I mean, you kind of get this hue of light that's coming, but when that sun crests and you just see the top of it, man, does the sky light up. The light is piercing through the darkness. Darkness cannot exist any longer in the beauty of the sun. And this is just the natural capacity that Jesus is reflection of the glory of God is so much greater than a billion suns. And when he crests the horizon, you're going to see the most beautiful sunrise ever. I want to read Revelation 7, verses 15 through 17. If you guys want to flip over there real quick, it's near the back of the, back of the Bible. But he says this, as we're talking about uh, the seals being opened and a great multitude from every nation coming before the Lord of God. There it says in verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. That's beautiful. That in these moments of judgment, we're being sheltered in the presence of the almighty, beautiful son of Jesus. In verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. They've been protected. They've been healed. For the lamb, speaking of Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead, guide, protect, and feed them. And he will guide them to springs of living water. Jesus spoke of the living water. It's the why he said this to the, the woman at the well. It's the living water that you'll never have to come after again. You will never have to drink again. It will always be flowing in and through you, giving you everything you need. All the thirst that you have will be gone because you'll always have everything that you need. And he will guide them to these springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, everything we mourn, everything we, we just are struggling over. God will redeem it. God will restore it. That is the promise that we have in the end. It all starts right here in judgment. These are the moments where this is all happening that God is bringing that restoration in. These are the moments that Malachi is saying that as you lean into this, I'm going to send this guy, Elijah, and he's going to come and in that moment get excited because God is about to do a new thing. He's about to come in and step in and say, everything you feel broken about, if you've been following after me, if you've been running after me, even as hard as it's been, even as much as you stumbled and fallen on your own face, Jesus will restore you. He will pick you up. Just like he pulled Peter out of the water and said, let's walk on the water back to the boat. Let's do that miracle. He's going to say the same miracle to you. Stand up. I am here for you. When that judgment seat comes, he, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, I have you. You're covered. Your name is written in my book. 
Let's live in eternity together, separated for the Father, God Almighty, because he wants to live in a beautiful, eternal relationship with you. And I love this in verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children, the hearts of children to their fathers. He is speaking of reconciliation. And that word less, I'm in the ESV, in other translations it'll say, otherwise he'll come and strike the land with utter destruction. So without reconciliation, suffering will be the result. Reconciliation is so huge. That's why we talk about it as such an important part of our transformation of the story that we find the ways to reconcile with one another to forbear, to love, to spur one another on. That's our, our, our responsibility as followers of Jesus in our relationships with one, one another and in our relationship with the world that we're gonna run after reconciliation because this is where the beauty of this comes to a place. God reconciles us through the person of Jesus. We can be reconciled because of the person of Jesus to one another. And that's all a part of this moment. So man, there's, there's a place that we understand and we hold that not only is God going to act, but he's asking us to act as well. Even to, as the church, to prepare for this day, to set this day up, to set this moment up. And reconciliation will be such a huge part of that. That one to another, we will be reconciled as we follow after Jesus. And that's a big statement. And so we ask ourselves the question, do we see the negative or do we see the positive? And when we see the positive, are we really running and living, walking with Jesus? Because that leads us to this beautiful place to be separated for God, to understand our eternity. It kind of holds us to the full story, not the broken story. And Malachi is just wanting us to get there desiring for us to be in that place. Wants the God, God's people to understand what, what the Father is being reconciled and, and is, is working towards. And man, I hope that as we, as the church in the modern age, that we don't cut off the full story of God and live in only the first part, but that we run after it as hard as it is so that we can experience the goodness and the fullness of God's love, covenant love for us. Next week, we're gonna start a series called Blueprints, jumping into 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians is gonna talk more about these times to come as we are challenged to really build the church on an understanding of what is coming ahead of us. And it's going to be an amazing series as we dive into those ideas and the truths of what that looks like. And so if you're like, hey, Jason, can you hang on the end times a little more? We will, don't worry. You know, I touched on Revelation. We'll get there a little bit more in weeks to come. But where I really want us to land is understanding what Malachi is trying to wrap up in this six verses. For us to take the grasp of the last words of the Old Testament and hold on to them. There's four things that have really stood out to me through this. The first is simply this, judgment. I've been saying that a lot, but here's the positive in the judgment, is that evil will be defeated. In God's judgment of the world, evil will be defeated. Romans 16, 20 says this, 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You have a part of that. Isn't that awesome? You think you get mad at Satan? Everyone ever get mad at Satan? Yeah, this is gonna be a good day when you literally get to kick Satan in the face because of Jesus. That's a good day. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. The evil will be defeated through that moment of judgment. That's God's promise to us. There's beauty in that. We run after that with all that we have. We claim that. We hold on to that. We may not be experiencing it right now because transformation is hard, but we can hold on to the promise of what is to come and what we get to be a part of. And Malachi is setting that up. He's also setting up this idea of promise. That promise, in promise, the joy will come. That we may not feel all the joy and all the feels right now that we want to feel, but in the promise of what is to come, we will have joy. Romans 16, or John 16, 20 and 21 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Meaning that the world's kind of thinking it's got the first part of the story good, and that's hard for us because we want to feel the full story. But Jesus goes on to say, but you will be sorrowful, but, there's another but, your sorrow will turn into joy. There's promise there. That even on the hardest days, that through the promise of Jesus, your sorrow will turn into joy. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will what? rejoice. You'll be leaping calves out of the stall, looking all crazy, running around like David did. It's like, what are you doing, David? I'm rejoicing because God is good. He's restoring his promise, and no one will take your joy from you. I love that. In the promise, you're going to have it even in the sorrow. Your sorrow will turn into joy. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one can take your joy from you in Jesus. Amen to that. Like, that's good, right? That's so good. And Malachi's trying to unfold that as we look at the healing and the leaping and the, and the victory of treading down the wicked. And then he points out truth. Truth is life will come through truth, through Jesus. It's capital T for a reason. That all the things that we may understand, all the things that, that are kind of just getting wrapped around, it's like, I don't really get this. That in this full story of God, truth will reveal itself and life will come through the truth, which is Jesus. Amy and I were talking this morning and she brought up uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11. It just struck me in that moment, so thank you for that. Uh, you're probably making the whole sermon worthwhile, so this is great. But in Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has also put eternity into man's hearts. It's in you, in your creation. You have eternity in you. But here's the thing. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's tough. In our humanity, in our sin, in this world of evil and destruction, even in the sacrifice and the transformation that's going on, it's hard to understand this eternity that's bubbling, that question, that uncertainty, that like, oh, I get, I get it, but I don't get it. Those moments where you're like, God, you are so good, I get it. Everything about you, I get it. And then the next day, wait a second, where'd that go? What, I, I was so confident yesterday, why am I not... Because God is huge. 
And the story that is going to unfold is going to be fulfilled in his coming, in, that, in the fullness of his goodness, in what he's planning for us, that life will come through truth. When we see Jesus again, everything is going to come clear. We just have to hold on to that promise, to live in that place and trust that that eternity that is already built into us is going to explode with color and fruit and growth. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh yeah, this is why the calves are leaping when they see Jesus come to life in that way. And then finally, reconciliation. That brokenness will be made whole. And as I was thinking through these, this is the one that really stuck out to me the most. Because even in my own brokenness, and the things that I look at myself in the mirror every morning and I go, oh, don't love what I see. I don't love what I think. I don't love about how I'm viewing my day to come. And even when I get to the end of the day, I go, oh, I can't believe I did it that way. I can't believe I responded to my wife in that way or I treated my kids like that. And I just feel like a failure sometimes. And then those moments that you feel like, man, I, I crushed it. It was so good. Like, I crushed this day. I don't even know if I sinned today. I don't think I did. Maybe I did. It doesn't matter. I don't think I did. But then the very next day, oh, nope, there it is. All up in my face. I love the idea of reconciliation because brokenness will be made whole. God will take this broken clay pot and he will shape it fully new again. He will take this broken life, this broken person and say, man, do I have something for you. I've been shaping it throughout your whole life. From that moment, Jason, when you were five and you said yes to me in that room with your little Donald Duck dresser, from that moment forward, I've been shaping you for this moment here. For this moment here. When all your brokenness will be made whole. Man, I love that. I think about that in my own story, even my marriage. My first five years with Tara weren't good, no. By the grace of God and the church that loved us, we're married and I'm still in ministry. But even in that, 23 years in, <laughs> I can't wait for this full day. <laughs> I'm sure Tara can't wait either. Um, <laughs> but that we have this moment that God is taking all the things, all the brokenness and making it whole. Colossians 1 says this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Can I pause there for a second? The fullness of God. If you're ever wondering about the deity of Jesus, here's a statement that says it. Like, this is why we trust in that sacrifice and trust in his promise for what is coming. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. If you have any question about whether you're a part of God's desired plan, you're right there. You're in the all things. That is you. That is your neighbor. That is your friend. That is your boss who you don't like so much today. Everyone's in that. That's God's desire that he wants to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus came with the idea that I am coming to give fully of myself because I'm reconciling. I'm bringing 
back my creation to what it was created for. And yes, I will give all of myself for that. Yes, I will go through all the pain, through all the suffering, through all the spitting, through all the stripping, through all the piercing, through all the brokenness of that journey because this is my greatest desire to be in relationship with my greatest part of creation. He will reconcile it all. That's awesome. And so I wonder, church, what do we live in and what do we believe? And my hope is that we don't live in 400 years of silence maybe believing in the first part of the story without seeing the full story. But that as we wrap up this book in our modern age, as we wrap up this time in understanding, and even going into a series that's gonna talk even more about who we are as the church, looking forward to what is to come, that we take a heart check. Pastor Keith talked about that. That we're gonna do some checking of our own selves and just live in the idea of the promise of what Jesus is leading us towards. And man, he's put it in you, and you may not get it all right now. It may not all make sense. My guess is it doesn't. If it does, can you please come talk to me afterwards? I'd love to glean from your knowledge. But my guess is not for any of us in this room does it all make sense. But the promise of God in his covenant love for us, he's trying to, to shape it and change it and work it out in us to do a great work, to reveal his fulfillment of his promise through him. And the beauty is he's doing it in each and every one of your hearts and your lives as you say yes to him. As you say, I wanna, I wanna see you, Jesus. I wanna know you, Jesus. I wanna walk with you, Jesus. And he's going to start doing a work in you that is just befuddling to your mind. You're going to be like, I don't get this. But it's going to be so, so good. And you hear me say this often because it's such a beautiful truth that when God does it in you, he also wants to do it through you. And that's the beauty of the church. As in, we don't just gather to worship and respond, to, to fellowship with one another, to share meals together, to take communion, to see baptisms, to celebrate that, to receive God's word, to be challenged, to be shaped and be grown by that. But he's taking all of that because he wants us to walk out of these doors and do something with it. And it's not now all on our power, but it's through his power that he's doing that work. That as the church in this age, as we wait for his coming promise, that we get to help others see and understand the full story of God, not just half the story of God. And our world is hell-bent on getting us, I was, I was really struggling with why I should say that word, um, on getting us just to hang out in the first part of the story of God. You want to know Why? It's because the second and fulfillment of it is so hard to grasp and understand. I personally believe the words of Jason, this is just me, that that's hard to understand because too much of this world doesn't think that they themselves, me, can really be restored and redeemed or that I have value or have worth enough for an almighty God to love me that much. I wonder and I think that's where our world is struggling the most. So you guys close your eyes. Amy's going to come back up and just lead us in some more time of worship. But I want you to think through where you are. 
what God's doing in your life right now, the, the good and the hard. What is wrestling in and through you this morning? Is the lens that you see a negative lens that you look at the story and you're like, ah, no, this is not true. It's not believable. It's not going to be fulfilled. God can't look at me and say that I can become something different. He can't restore or reconcile this broken relationship or the church has fallen apart. He's not, he's not going to be able to restore the American church because it's so far blown. Or are you seeing it going, man, this is tough. This is tough stuff. But I trust in the promise that is to come and I want to believe in the beauty of what God has. So I want you guys to ask that question in you. To seek out what God has for you this morning. What was one part of this passage? Jesus, I, I, I don't know if I can handle all of it, but I want to handle this much. I want to know this much. What's the one thing that you can walk out of this room with this morning? And maybe even before you do, respond with truth this morning. To go back to God and give him your breath and your song. It's like, God, I'm going to hold on to this one thing today. And I'll, I'll expect that you'll teach me the other things as days come. But I'm going to hold on to this one thing today and make you holy. Father, I, uh, I believe in your goodness. And Lord, even as a pastor who's got Bible training and all the things, Lord, I struggle with wrapping my head around your truth at times. But Lord, I ask that you will work in my heart to understand the one thing that I desire. Today, that's reconciliation for Jason. And Lord, I pray that same thing for everyone in this room, that they can choose this, the one thing that you are speaking to their hearts right now. Lord, that your spirit will minister to them in the way they need to be ministered to. And Lord, may we see that in the moment where we can understand and embrace healing and joy, reconciliation and truth, victory, God, in you. Lord, victory. Another great one I want to understand. So God, as we just respond and give our breath back to you through these next couple of songs, Lord, that you would be so real and evident, palpable in this place. They can't do anything else but just to let it all out. To let it all out. So God, we just come to worship you today as a good, loving, gracious, covenant God who's looking to restore the beauty and the perfection of your creation to live in eternity with you. Live in eternity with you. Church, will you stand? Let's worship together.